So Pastor's been on a series of transformation. And so today we're going to be talking about new life. I'm going to continue the series uh, that he's, he's, he's doing. I don't have his notes. He just said, hey, preach on new life. And I was like, sweet. All right. Got a subject. I don't have to come up with one. <laughs> um, so regardless of where you have been or what you have done or who you are, Jesus can transform your life and give you a brand spanking new life. So today we're going to be talking about four lives uh, in the Bible, where God completely trans, uh, transformed them by the power of God. So every person in here has a beginning, right? You were birthed, right? And every year you celebrate that birth. Sometimes, you know, some people do, some people don't. If you're Jehovah's Witness, then you don't celebrate nothing. All right. I have a, <laughs> I have a, I have a, a Jehovah's Witness friend, and I was talking to her the other day. She's, uh, you know, uh, she's a grandmother. And so she says, I don't necessarily celebrate birthdays, but with my grandkids, I'll give them $20 that just happens to be on their birthday and they can spend it however they want to. And I was like, dude, you are celebrating their birthday, whatever. So everyone has a birthday, but not everyone has a spiritual birthday. You see what I'm saying? That where they celebrate new life. Now, Pastor Mitch, he knows the very moment, the very millisecond of everything in his life, and he knows when he got saved, he celebrates it yearly. I, uh, I was, I'll just go ahead and tell my, my life of transformation. Whenever I, <clears throat> I encountered Jesus, I was five years old, okay? Uh, I heard the message of Jesus and hell, <laughs> and that night, my mom knows, I was five years old. We were getting ready to have our prayer, you know, nightly prayers. And, you know, they said amen. And, I, you know, I, I sat up and I started crying. I said, Mom, Dad, I don't want to go to hell. And I was scared out of my mind. And, she, and Mom and Dad were like, it's okay. Jesus came to save you from hell and all this stuff. And so I said the sinner's prayer and I got saved at five years old. But... Did I really know about the life transformation power of Jesus? Not yet. And so I went throughout, you know, my teen life. Uh, I, I was brought up in, in church and around Christianity and stuff like that. Um, but I don't feel like I took Jesus as my savior and allowed him to come into my life and transform me until I was 19. Uh, I was on a youth retreat. It was a choir. Let's see. Actually, it was ski invasion. And it was in this cabin where I just had this life transformation in Jesus. I'm tired of living my life out of my own self. I give my life completely to you. Uh, there was this moment where I was humbled uh, in front of my youth group at that, at that time. Lindy was in the youth group. And so in that, the Holy Spirit was convicting me of this new life that I needed to make things right in my life. And Lindy was one of those. So I pointed her, I was, I was standing on a coffee table and it was a big coffee table. It was, you know, and I stood there and my, my youth pastor at the time, he was prophesying and stuff like that. And he prophesied over me that I'd be a youth pastor one day. And I was like, nope, I don't know about that, but I'll, I'll give my life to Jesus. <laughs> I don't see myself being nothing. I just want to give my life over to him. But I, I felt compelled to make things right. And one of them was Lindy. And I said, I am so sorry that I've hurt you. Now, there have been people in the youth ministry and people in my life that I've mistreated. And it completely humbled me. It 
transformed my life. And from that point on, I know for a fact that was my spiritual birthday. All right. So I've been saved, really rededicated my life to to Christ when I was 19 years old and I'm 37. So, um, so that's my life story. And so maybe you're here and you know that you should be living differently. Like me, you were raised in a Christian environment, uh, but you too are living a double life and God can transform you, all right? So I'm going to be talking about four stories. Now, the first story, we're going to be talking about Moses. You guys heard about Moses, all right? So Moses, he went from being a prince to a fugitive to being a leader. Moses was transformed by God from a shepherd to perhaps one of the greatest leaders of all time. So to start this story out, Moses was adopted into Pharaoh, the king, uh, and, and the daughter of him found him floating, you guys know the story, floating in a river, and she took him in, and he was brought around the most, and he was raised ar- among the most elite people of the world at that time, okay, because he was part of a royal family. And probably, the, the word of God doesn't talk about it, but he would probably take over the kingdom uh, if Pharaoh passed away because he was a son. You know, the Bible's not completely clear in that, but in Acts 722 it says Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So in Exodus 2 the Bible talks about how one day Moses was doing what he usually does just walking around the kingdom kind of looking, you know, uh you know overseeing stuff and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew man. Now we don't really know if Moses knew that he was a Hebrew. He just knew that somebody was being abusive to another person. So what he did, he took action, took and murdered the guy. All right. He looked around. He didn't, he didn't, he thought that nobody saw him. So he took the body, buried the body. And then the very next day, there were two Hebrew men. They were arguing back and forth. And he saw the person, the Hebrew that started it. And he's like, Hey, why are you starting to fight? He's like, Oh, are you, are you the one that's going to be judged? Who, who called you to judge us? Are you going to kill us? Or kill me like you killed the Egyptian. And so Moses was shocked. And he's like, oh, man, somebody saw what I did. And eventually word came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh actually wanted to kill him. So Moses fled for his life to Midian. So now he's a fugitive. He went from being a prince, elite family, to running for his life, being a fugitive on the run because he murdered somebody. Goes to Midian. And he's like, you know what? I got to start all over again. So he's like, you know what? Nobody knows me here. Nobody knows that I'm a prince. So, you know, I can't say I am Prince Moses. Can you give me a job? No, nobody recognizes his rank in Midian. So he has to start on the low end of the uh, the totem pole. So he becomes a shepherd. And shepherds, they were the lowest of the low of the low of the low. And so he becomes a shepherd to to have an income. So he's doing his duties of being a shepherd, hanging around some stinky sheep one night, and he's around this bush. And all of a sudden, this bush goes, and it starts talking to him. And he's probably like, what kind of berries did I eat? (laughs) No, but God started speaking to him and started imparting. He said, Moses, you got to take off your shoes. You're on holy ground right now. So he took off his shoes, humbled himself before God, and 
That was his life-changing moment. And from that point on, his life was completely changed. And he experienced the glory of God you know, later on in, in Exodus where uh, he took, God, Moses was like, I want to experience the full glory of you. He says, you can't handle and see my face and live. So he says, I'm going to put you in the cleft of a, of a cave and I'll put my hand over you and I'm going to pass over you, pass by you, and you can see the backside of me. That's how powerful God is. And he just wanted to experience that. But, and then after that, he became one of the most prolific leaders of all time. I mean, he split the Red Sea, I mean, through, through miracles. I mean, he led a nation, but it was only because he humbled himself. And we'll talk about that. So that's one life of Moses that was changed. All right. So number two, Gideon, from hider to a hero. Gideon was transformed from being a person filled with fear, can you relate, <laughs> to a person filled with courage and faith in God. So at first glance, when you look at Gideon as a character in the Bible, he looks like a scaredy cat. <laughs> He's hiding in a cave. Um, in Judges 6, it talks about the Midianites and Amalekites were enemies of Israel, and they were oppressing Israel. So anytime the Israelites would would have crops or have livestock, these two nations would come in, totally destroy or take all the livestock and leave them with nothing. So the Israelites were, were left kind of fending for themselves and saying, God, hello, where are? but they were in rebellion as well. So Midian, I mean, uh, Gideon, Midian, Gideon, Gideon was hiding in a cave, just, you know, minding his own business in the wine press, and he was... Uh, you know, sifting wheat and he, he threshing wheat, hiding from, from these Amalekites. He wasn't on the front battlefield. And all of a sudden, this angel comes in. And I don't know if he actually revealed to him that he was an angel, but it says that he, it was an angel because he didn't kind of, he didn't freak out. But he says, God has, has sent me to you. You are a mighty warrior. And he's, <laughs> he's got like, is there anybody else in here? I'm sitting here sifting wheat. Like, there, am I going to like take the wheat and beat the, take this, you mean man. Like, stop. Like, he's not a warrior. He hasn't picked up a sword a day in his life. He's probably like, you got the wrong guy. There's no way that God's called me to be a warrior. And so uh, the angel instructed getting to go in the strength that was placed inside of him, not his own strength, by God to lead the Israelites into battle and conquer the Midianites and Amalekites. So Gideon actually like talked to the angels like, hey, let me just let you know, you got the wrong dude. Like, I, nah. And he tried to convince the, the angel in Judges 6.15 that he was not equipped to do what God had called him to do, uh, to say, uh, saying that he was the weakest in his, his clan. He was in, uh, in Manasseh, and actually he was like the youngest or the least in his family. He said, you know my status, God. I'm like the lowest of the low of the low of the low. Like, why would you use me? God said, I want him because he has no pride. And so God's reply to him was, I don't want no excuses. Judges 6, 16 says, was I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, all of them leaving none alive, okay? So I said this in small group orientation. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. 
So if he has called you to himself and called you to great things and he's told you to do certain things, he doesn't, he hasn't, once you come to him, he equips you. You don't want to equip yourself. You and yourself, you're a Gideon, sifting wheat, all by yourself. You're not, you're not a mighty warrior without, without him. And so in the standard of that, Gideon was the lowest of the low. We talked about that. Um, and then Romans 12, 3, Paul talks about, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you are, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So you need to have confidence. Instead of having confidence in yourself, you need to have confidence in God. Don't think too much of yourself and saying, God, you know what? Without you, I can do absolutely nothing. And so that's what God is looking for in servants. And, and when, he, when, when he calls us, he, don't, he doesn't want to say, okay, God, well, Moses even has some excuses too. If you look, hey, I'm bad at speaking. I'm really bad at speaking. So I stutter. God's like, I don't want to hear it. I want to use you. Okay. So Gideon went from the least of his family, the least of his tribe to a mighty warrior status with one experience with God. Okay. And eventually God led or Gideon led three, only 300 men. How many guys have seen 300? Movie three. It's pretty it's about 300 men to conquer, well, tries to conquer uh, another nation and loses really, really badly. But they, they made a movie out of it. This, this story ends really, really well. It was 300 against almost 120,000 Midianites and, and Amalekites. And guess what? God won this one. God won this one. Gideon won through, through God. And so do you know why, God, why Gideon was empowered by God? It's because... He was full of humility towards God. After winning the battle, the people of Israel wanted Gideon to rule over them. Him and his sons and said, hey, you know, Gideon, since you won the battle, see, that's, that's the error in Israel. Since you won the battle for us, we want you to rule over us, you and your family, because you got what it takes, Gideon. And see, Gideon was humble enough, even after he won the battle, he says, I don't want to rule over you. God is the one that's going to be ruling over you. Let's go to Judges 8, 22 through 23. It says, the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandsons. We want all your family ruling over us because we've seen the power of what you can do. They still didn't recognize that God set them free because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But see, look at, look at Gideon's reply. I told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you, the Lord will rule over you. See, that's, that's exactly what God wants to do in our lives. Honestly, even in our nation, God wants to rule our nation. We should not be looking to any man. That's just what pastor has been saying. We don't need to be looking at any man to save us. We need to be looking at the Holy One, God, to save us. So I want to talk about two temptations that Gideon kind of went through. Um, and two lies that were thrown at him. So before winning the battle, there was a lie that the enemy was trying to, to throw at Gideon. And even though he was humble, he said, you know what? You don't have what it takes. You can't be a mighty warrior. And so he had, to, he had the, the decision to make, to saying, yes, I will operate in what God has called me to do. Or, nah, God, this is way too much. I can't, I can't do this. Or after he won the battle, 
that he was the savior of Israel. And, that, and, and for, for the temptation of pride to take over him, saying, you know what? Pfft, I did lead 300 men against 120,000. That's pretty awesome. I'll tell you what, I am pretty amazing. You know, and he could have easily set himself up for worldly success and say, you know what? I can be the king of Israel and I can set my family uh, in a nice place for the rest of their generation and, and lead Israel. But he chose to say, you know what? I'm hanging it up. This is all God. This is not me. You see the temptation? And what would you do in that situation? Dude, you slew three, like 120,000 men with 300. That's, that's amazing. Okay? But see, Gideon had a drastically new life when he gave himself over to God's will. Do we feel that, that way sometimes? If, God, if what God has called you to do does not overwhelm you, then you may be thinking too small. Think about your life. Think about what you're doing. Are you doing things out of your own talents? I mean, all of us have gifts, but are we really trusting God on a daily basis? And does it, does it naturally overwhelm you with the things that God has told you to do? And are you operating in those in the power of God? And if not, you may be thinking too small. Maybe you have dreams that's in your head that God has spoken, spoken to you about. And maybe you're a Gideon right now. You're hiding in you're hiding in the cave, sifting the wheat. You're like, oh, you, you call me to do that? <laughs> no, God, no, there's no way. God's saying, yes, I want to call you. But first, you got to humble yourself. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Number three, we're going to be talking about David. I'm like Pastor Mitch. I love David. David's my favorite character in the Bible. Um, from teen shepherd to king. David was transformed from a simple shepherd boy to the greatest king Israel ever had besides Jesus. All right. So in 1 Samuel 16, it talks about how the king of Israel, he was, his name was Saul. He turned away from God. He rebelled against God. And another king was going to be taking his place. So God instructed this prophet named Samuel to go throughout the land and find the next king. So God told Samuel to go to uh, this house of Jesse. Jesse. And God would show, I don't know why I said that, <laughs> would show Samuel who to anoint as the king of Israel. So Jesse had a bunch of sons. And so Jesse comes in. He's like, I'm, I'm a proud daddy. Got all these nice looking sons right here. It's going to be the next king. It's going to be awesome. So Samuel's kind of going through. And he even Samuel looks at the oldest son, Eliab, and says, God, I think that's the next, that's going to be the next. He looks, he just looks like a king. And so in verse 7, it says, uh, God told Samuel to do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Aren't you glad that God looks at the heart and not on our appearance and the way we look and the way we are in life? Man gives us all hope, especially me. Um, so Jesse presented all of his sons before Samuel and God rejected him to be the next king. So after he asked Jesse if he had more sons, Jesse was like, yeah, I got this son. He's out being a shepherd. Got to see the correlation. God uses shepherds. God always uses the lowly to do great things. And says, so, yeah, I got this, this young boy, David. He's out there tending the sheep. He's nice and stinky and 
But Samuel's like, bring him in. So as soon as he was brought in, Samuel looked at him, and it says he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So David was kind of handsome, but he was short, and he was like the least. And so his, his own family rejected him. His own, his own father said, these are, these are my sons. This is not my son. He's out there. You know, so he, Jesse was presenting his sons, and he was rejected. So, again, God chose what man rejected, okay? So for that experience on, Samuel anointed David to be king, and God dramatically transformed his life and was, was living a brand new life. It, was, it wasn't easy. He had to run for his life for about eight years away from the king Saul because he was jealous uh, of David being, because he knew there was anointing on David. And so he was, I mean, there were times where being anointed, being called by God is hard because you have to go through trials. You have to trust God. You have to empty yourself saying, okay, God, I don't have what it takes. I got to rely on your power, not mine. Okay. So during those years, God's power uh, saved Israel uh, and he slayed a giant. It was, I think, nine feet tall. Okay. It was pretty big dude, and saved him from being taken by the Philistines. He eventually became the best king Israel had, and honest, and actually, Jesus came through David's lineage. Think about that. That's pretty cool. The creator of this universe came through a shepherd, a lowly shepherd boy, okay? So let's talk about Paul. Paul's one of my favorite people, too. From disciple killer to disciple saver. Paul was transformed from a persecutor of Christians to a preacher to Christians. So let's talk about Saul. It's kind of complicated. If you don't know the Bible, his name first was Saul, later to be known as Paul. Okay, you guys got that? All right, so Saul was brought up in a pharisaical family. Pharisees are the ones that killed Jesus. He was brought up in this family that really hated Followers, followers of Jesus Christ. They would gather them up, they would put them in jail, and eventually they would, they would be killed. And so Saul was brought up in that type of family, okay? So Saul, one day, was traveling on the road to Jerusalem, to Damascus, when he encountered Jesus, encountered Jesus. So Acts 9, 4, 7, it says, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Does that sound good? Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. You can imagine this scene. <laughs> imagine being one of these guys that's hanging out with Paul. Oh my God, where's that voice coming from? Oh my gosh. Everybody's terrified. They're hearing the voice of Jesus. This is an experience that, that they're having with the creator of the universe. And Saul's getting reprimanded. So he was blinded for three days. He was guided to the city by his friends. And uh, let's see. So when Saul got up from the ground, he was blinded for three days. Jesus spoke to Saul that a disciple named Ananias would be coming to lay hands on him so that he could see again. So God had to humble him, humble him. At the same time, God was talking to Saul. He was talking to Ananias and telling him to go to Saul. Saul had a reputation 
uh, you know, he had a reputation. People knew about Saul. Christians avoided Saul because he killed them. Okay. Acts 9, 13 through 16, he says, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority of, from the chief priests who to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the, the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias was led to Saul to restore his sight. And then Saul then spent several days with the disciples of Christ in Damascus and started to publicly proclaim the name of Jesus, uh, which was totally blasphemous uh, to his upbringing. So he literally had to discard everything like his family, his upbringing to say, you know what? I've been following the wrong God. I've been actually... (laughs) I've been, I've, been serving the, I've been serving Satan, basically. He says, man, I can't, I can't do what, I, what I've been doing. I have, to be, I have to live this new life. So Saul, being a new person, had to overcome some hurdles. So he has this reputation. I mean, imagine you have Hitler coming in town. You know, his reputation is, you know, destroying basically Israel. The same thing. Basically, Paul was a Hitler. He was going in. Round, rounding up Christians and killing them. And so imagine Paul coming in town and you know the reputation. And you're like, dude, like you kill Christians. And so there was a mistrust that Christians had. And, I, you know, obviously so. So there is a hurdle of trust that Christians at that time had to overcome. And so it says in Acts 9, 23 through 26, they were actually planning to kill Paul. After many days had gone, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept watch, close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he had really converted to being a disciple of Christ. So eventually Saul had to prove himself uh, being a true disciple of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Even his name was changed from Paul, meaning asked for, to Paul, meaning small or humble. And I want to talk about that. I, when I was writing the sermon, I was just like, God, I never really researched why his name was changed. And I was, I was just interested. So I looked up the, you know, uh, you know, the meaning of his name. And so, so Saul was from a reputation of being asked for. He was an elite person. You know, people in his family, people uh, at the Pharisees were asking for him. He was, he was high up uh, to a person that was known, uh, known in the Pharisaical circle as being, you know, somebody that you go to. Maybe you're this way. Maybe you're, you're a person that people go to, people look to, all right? So that, that's, that's Saul. And so whenever his name was change to, uh, to Paul, it means the one that is humble and that is small. So Paul, this is my next statement, Paul traded his reputation of power for a reputation of humility. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're, you are that prideful guy. Maybe you depend on yourself. Or maybe a lot of people have been depending on you and they're depending on a wrong person. Maybe they, they have no idea that you follow Jesus. Okay. 
Um, God is wanting to make us a Paul. God is wanting to humble us, and, and God is looking for for souls that are willing to humble themselves before God and say, you know what? I don't have what it takes. I need a life-changing, uh, I need a life-changing encounter with Jesus to completely transform my life. Um, and so Paul ended up being one of the most prolific leaders of Christianity and wrote most of the New Testament that we read today 2,000 years later. So when we truly start following Jesus, our lives should leave behind cookie crumbs leading to him. And looking back on these stories, what's the common denominator in all of them? Me and uh, Joshua were talking about this, and I said, hey, man, I'm going to bounce some ideas off of you. I was like, what, what, do you, what, are, the, what are the common denominators? He's, the first thing he said, he's like, they said yes. They said yes to the will of God. Even though it was hard, they said yes. And the next thing is uh, they emptied themselves of everything, of their reputation, of who they were, who they were depending on. Maybe they were depending on themselves a little bit too much. And they were saying, you know what, God, I don't have what it takes, so I empty myself to you, and I'll walk in your promise. That's what the second song said, walk in your promise. Jesus has come to give us new life. Are we walking in it? Okay? Are we walking in the, the transformation power of Christ? So, Then God, after they humbled themselves, that's when the power of God came in, okay? So I got an illustration. Go ahead and uh, get, get some beans. I'm going to teach through beans, y'all, okay? These beans are special. Is David here? Okay, David's not here. So these beans are special. These were found in my office. Uh, thank you, sir. Yes. Oh, can I get that other bowl? Cool. Yeah, that, that one right there, yeah. You're a man. All right, so these beans are special. These beans were found in my office in my book bag as a prank. So I was to say, you know what? I'm going to transform these beans into something holy. <laughs> so I put them back into Rocky's filing cabinet, spread them in there. So he got them out, and I said, let me use them. He says, I will give you the beans the day that you preach. You <laughs> didn't trust me. So <laughs> thanks, Rocky. So I want you to imagine yourself as this vessel right here. You're filled up with beans. Beans could represent self-dependency, self-reliance, things that you think that you're good at, and that, you know, maybe this is pride. Maybe this is unforgiveness. Maybe this is anger. Maybe this is things that you've acquired over years, and you've filled up with things that are not of God. And God's saying, hey, I want you to empty yourself. I want you to give everything that you are, that you think you are. I want you to pour it out to me. And so what, you, what's God, what God is calling, calling us to do is just pour out our lives and empty ourselves of everything. So you know what? When things are empty, things can be filled. So whenever we empty, and as, as you saw time and time, at, again, in these four stories, these characters in the Bibles, they emptied themselves and saying, you know what? I don't have what it takes. I'm emptying myself of all pride, of self-dependency. And as soon as they did that, God poured his supernatural transformation power into their lives. And their lives were never the same again. And so God has called us into a new life in Christ. And if there's things that we're been, we've been struggling with, 
these beings that we've been struggling with, self-dependency, and we're not living that new transformed life, maybe we haven't emptied ourselves. Maybe we haven't humbled ourselves. Maybe we're still a Saul when God has called us to be a Paul. We're still being that person that everyone looks to, everyone comes to, and God's saying, hey, I want to humble you. I want you to come under my jurisdiction so that I can fill you with life transit. And so that people, when they look at you, they know that you're of me. Because as you saw in all of these, these stories, these were leaders. These are people that we're talking about now, 2,000 years later. And it's not because they were great leaders in themselves. It was because God transformed their lives. Okay? So there's a couple of things that I want you guys to think about. And then we'll close. Man, I went through this pretty quickly. Number one, have I totally given my personal life over to Jesus Christ and allowed his power to transform me? Or am I just going through the, the, through the motions? Okay? Just think about that. Have I been raised in Christianity? Have I been raised around this, this, this life? I'm just, yeah, I'll, save, I'll, get, I'll get saved so I can get out of hell, but then I'll live however I want to after that. Has, I mean, are, are we living a life almost like Moses and all of these people where, I mean, you know, you're not splitting the Red Sea, but whenever you walk into your work, is the light of God walking in there? Okay, you're like, oh man, I, I saw a sermon yesterday uh, that Matthew sent me. He says, whenever you walk in and people say, oh man, it's just a dark place that, where I work at. You know what? Wherever light goes, it dispels darkness. Your workplace should not be a place of darkness because you are there. You walk in with the confidence, the confidence of God and say, you know what? In the name of Jesus, the enemy is not going to rule here. Gossip is not going to rule here. Okay? Pride is not going to rule here. This is going to be a company that is going to be completely changed by the power of God in me and through me. In Jesus' name. My family is going to be completely transformed. Well, I go home and it's just dark and it's just, man, there's just no God. Why? Why? You have the power of Jesus Christ inside of you. You have the light of God that's on the inside of you. When you walk in that home, demons need to flee. When you wake up, demons need to be mad. Oh, camera's awake. Mirror's awake. Oh, Lord, help us. No, they can't. God can't. So, got that. Has my life drastically changed like Moses, Gideon, David, and Paul's life? Or am I still clinging to parts of my old life and the past ways of doing things? The past mentalities. Am I, am I thinking like the old person? What will I say to Jesus when I see him after death and he asks me about how I lived? Number four, have I emptied myself of all self-dependency and pride? Am I still depending on me? This is something I go through a daily basis. I woke up this morning. I was, I have my quiet time. I said, God, I can't, I can't preach under myself. I don't want to, I don't want to depend on myself, not one bit. I want you to preach for me, preach through me. So I, I go through this on a daily basis. Does my, does my old life try to creep in and try to snip at my heels? Absolutely. 
The enemy loves to throw things my way, in a, especially a believer, because it makes the enemy so mad because we are made in God's image. And it makes, it makes the enemy so mad because we're made in his image, okay? Action points. Number one, decide today to repent of sins and give yourself completely and wholly to Jesus Christ, Okay? And number two is ask the Holy Spirit to empty you of all self-dependency and pride. And number three, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with his power so that you can live daily for Jesus and give yourself moment by moment by moment to him on a daily basis. Okay, this is, you know, just because Moses, David, Saul, Paul, and Gideon had a life transformation experience with God did not mean that they lived a godly life after that. Okay? Some of them, you know, Gideon, you know, it it wasn't a bed of roses afterwards. They had to go through some trials and tests and tribulations. And that's, that's us as well. But we need to be holding on to that life transformation power of Jesus Christ to, to, to guide us Uh, with every decisions that we make on a daily basis and the way we act in our lives.